Today's date is June 4th, 2023. It's hard to believe. Our title today is In the Father's Image. In many ways, our King has caused so much to be advanced in our midst and in outward ministry over the last six months that it seems as if our time together on New Year's Eve was years ago, not months. With that in mind, we'd like to remind you of some critical revelations that have been given to us since the start of this year. Anybody in this house remember that you're in a year of preparing to set out? Yeah, I do. Yeah. That you're preparing because we will settle in new lands, new territories, and new nations. This year, I mean in just the last six months, we had a message called Barriers Broken. In that message, we learned what it was to defeat disparities by creating equals and eliminating all diacrino from our relationships. This year, we received the Balkan Bow vision and its expanse as it connects here all the way into the Middle East and eventually Jerusalem. In the message, Three Judges, we learned about Caleb and Othniel principles, Hallelujah. elevating sons to brothers and moving beyond compliance into holy conquest. Since it's been a full year, we've even been given insight in regard to a promise and the need to raise up a fourth generation of leaders in the form of fivefold ministers and elders that will take their stand in our ranks. Can we say it's been a full six months? Have you learned a lot in the last six months? Yeah. Saints, we're just getting started. Our Father's revealed to us things that we are going to see accomplished. And our implementation of these things are growing to the place where we will settle in new lands. Come on. In giving us that vision, that target, the Father has also been faithful. Say faithful. Faithful. Yeah, he's been faithful to get us there. What happens is that when he gives us a target, then he endeavors to discipline us, to disciple us, to train us. Amen. So that we actually succeed. The vision that he's given us surpasses single individual. It surpasses a single group of people. It actually requires every single body, every group, every church, every association. It requires all that he has. Every member of this body will be required and will, be, will see it fulfilled in the future. It will take all of us to work together. Right now, what are we, what, what are we doing? We're cultivating lives that are preparing to set out. We're, we're planting good seeds. We're, we're working on our own ground so that at any moment, we'll be able to set out and settle in new lands. We're no longer content with just holding the land, we're no longer content with simply being con uh, complacent with the land that he has given us. We are going to conquer. We're moving forward and we were taking land. The Father has worked hard to demolish all barriers among us. Meaning there's no distinction. There's no distinction in age. There's no distinction in color. There's no distinction in background. There's no distinction in, any, but in anything. We are one. We are united as one in Messiah. And all diacrinos, all fleshly distinctions are broken down in this place. Hallelujah. Even as we speak here today in Italy, 
in Romania, yeah. in Albania, uh -huh. the Balkan bow is forming. Yeah. And it's forming as actual brave men and women of God wait in eager expectations for their brothers that will come and join them together. Oh, their brothers are among us right now. Across the one association, scores or families are being prepared to reach the nations. We don't just go without thinking. We are prepared by our own good father who's given us the visions and will accomplish it for us. Many in this room will settle in new lands. Others will form the foundation, the solid foundation for this launching pad to send all of the men that will go to those other nations. Both, every part of this body is absolutely necessary. Amen? Saints, the Lord has laid out quite a beautiful pathway for us. And it's astonishing to contemplate that we are walking on that pathway even as we address you this morning. Our King is able to work into us what is pleasing to Him. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Positioning us to properly reflect Him and ensuring that we reach these new lands, the new territory that he has called us to. Guys, we're going to examine the character of our God today. We're also going to examine the pathway that he brought his nation Israel through to the end of being positioned in order to reflect the character of our almighty God in our own lives, in our own families, and in our own churches. Adonai brought his people through definable stages in their development. These definable stages were meant to impart aspects of his character into his people. But not just that. They were also meant to ensure that his people were able to possess the lands that he promised them as an inheritance. We are clearly not the chosen people, right? Nope. That's true. But... By div God's divine grace in our lives, we are mysteriously included into his kingdom. Amen. Even as we remain distinct as Gentiles in our various and diverse national backgrounds, you can see that on the stage this morning, the king of Israel will meet us in the endeavor to become like him and like his people. You should know that what we are going to share with you today, it's definitely challenged our own current practices in so many ways. But it has also freed us unto daring works for Jesus Christ in so many ways. And this morning, we're going to come out there and say it. We fully intend, by any means necessary, to transfer that same impact and newfound freedom to you guys. Look, this is LCM. This is our family in this house, and many of you are familiar with how this works. But for the guests in the room, today is not going to be a short message. It is also not going to be a boring message. Amen. By the end of it, you will either hate us or love us, and I couldn't care less which you pick. We have resolved to leave you moved instead of static. Today, we're not playing church, sitting and listening to a sage on a stage. We're sharing with you our internal wrestlings with the Word of God. Hallelujah. 
The wondrous unifying effect of the word crosses all borders, all boundaries, all backgrounds. We have a Serbian, a Colombian, and a genuine redneck standing on the stage. Because the word of God has united us. So as we begin, we're going to start with the law. As God developed his nation, Israel, and unveiled more and more of his own character to his people. Specifically in the law, we're going to Exodus 15, picking up in verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he is hurled into the sea. Before we go to verse 2, you just have to take note of the kind of highly exalted God we have. He's not a fluffy God. He's not one that is standing there holding a broken lamb doing nothing. They're praising his salvation because of the death of the Egyptians who had enslaved them. Look at verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Saints, there are some things that we want you to pick up here. From verses 1 to 2, you see the proclamation of the greatness of our God. And it shows up in physical deliverance and salvation. Because those are one in the same in the Hebrew mind. There is no distinction between being physically delivered and saved. They've been persecuted in every age that has ever passed. And that is how all people of God are to live. Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Their salvation, their proclamation was about the God who would deliver them in all senses of the word. Then, in verse 2, you see this astounding statement. My Father's God. Saints, can we tell you that God's salvation is never about you individually? That it is always about the God of a thousand generations with his loyal love, his steadfast commitment... When he saved Adam Cora, he had in mind what would come from his body and his children's children. Amen. Saints, in this house, we learn, are learning to engage with both the character of our father and the way in which he developed his people. You realize this is his first testimony after bringing them out of Egypt? This is the song. This is what the people have gleaned from the unveiled character of the father and they collectively are proclaiming it back to him in praise. Saints, he's been unveiling himself from the very beginning. If you back up in the story and you look at Genesis 1, he appears as the God who interjected light into darkness. When you go from that, the creation of mankind, he reached down from on high into the dust that we were and raised us up from dust into his very image. See, our God is a God who intervenes violently, like turning on a light switch in a dark room, who reaches down into the situations that are there so that he can raise something up into a greater and greater status. He elevated us from dust to sons of God and made us in his image. Genesis 12 is the story of choosing one man out of 70 wicked pagan nations that had gone astray to make a new nation for himself that he called princes with God. Oh, yeah. Saints, this is the character of our king. Even the chapter of Exodus 15 itself tells a story. Come on. 
as you're still engaging with Exodus 15, you got to think Moses and the Israelites have just crossed over dry ground, but that was, used to be called the Red Sea. It's just that they walked on it and it was dry ground. And when they look back, this is the testimony that Moses and the Israelites are singing. They're not singing on somebody else's experience. They're singing of what just happened. They're singing about how the Father unveiled himself and revealed who he was to his people. So Moses is just proclaiming something that he has just experienced about the character of God. He has a newly found revelation of how God is able to intercede and interject in the dealings of men. So that's why he thinks the Lord is my strength and my song. He unveiled himself before our eyes. We were slaves. We were an oppressed people. However, now he has become our salvation. I used to have no strength. I used to have no song. Come on. I, I, as a matter of fact, if I had a song, it was the wrong song. It was a devilish song. <laughs> However, now he is my song. Now he is the one that comes out of my mouth. He is the God. He, he said he was my God. But not only did he say so, he proved himself to me by, my, to be my God. Amen. He stuck his right arm and lifted me up. That's how he proclaimed that he was my God. He not only Amen. said so, he did so. He proved that he was my God. He's also your father's God. That's and exactly I love that right. man. We're in Exodus 15 too, and he says that he's the God of the generations. He's my father's God. My father's God literally, and my son's God. And he will keep his love to even a thousand generations of those who love him. When you get to Exodus 15:3, you may not realize that what it says here is that God is not only just a warrior. The Young's Literal Translation says, Yehovah is a man of battle. Yehovah is a man of war. Yehovah is his name. Why, is he, why doesn't he say that he is a God of war? Why doesn't he say that he is just some exalted, mighty, true being that wars? Because when he says that he's a ish, he's a man of war, he's calling every man of God, every woman of God up to his side and say, if I am a man of war, guess what you are? A man of war as well. We are following in his footsteps. Remember, today the message is, is in, his, in his father's image. He's not a warrior by himself. He raises up others to become exactly the kind of man of war, man of battle that he is. He unveiled his warrior nature to his people. And when he unveils his warrior nature, when he unveils his nature, what happens is we're transformed from glory to glory into the image of who he is. Come on. He unveils himself, and as you behold him, you're transformed into who he is. What part of his people is called not to be an army, not to be a, a, at war? None of it. All of us are called to be exactly like him. We're men of war for what purpose? For what purpose? I mean, I like the word thematic. I mean, it gets me pretty pumped up. But what's the reason of actually preaching about war? What's the reason that God said he was a, a man of war? For deliverance of his people. Come on. He, he said, I am a man of war because I came and I destroyed the chariots. I sunk them into the deep sea and I delivered you with a strong hand. That's why I'm a man of war. He's a man of battle, a man of war for the liberation of his people. But not only that, for the elevation of his people. Yeah. He not only delivers them, then he lifts them up. Come he on. brings them up. He brings them close to him. 
he elevates them into princes with him. Sons of the living God. How, hey, have you ever thought that there's no highest thing that you could be except a son of God? If, if you wanted to be something better than a son of God, you would become God himself. A son of God is the highest position, the highest princely position that God could ever give you. And God ordained us. He elevated us to that position himself. Guys, we just went through Genesis 1. We did a flashback to Genesis 1. We went to Genesis 12. We talked you through Exodus 15. But it doesn't stop there. You see, the Father, the God of Israel, he kept unveiling himself to his people. He took them through stages of development, each and every waypoint in the growth of his nation Israel. In the development of his people, Adonai went on to teach them about the need for freedom from slavery to a different kind of master. Guys, we said that God is the God that takes slaves and he makes them into princes Amen. and men of war alongside of him. But he does that by elevating men from masters of world and flesh and elevating them to him as their only master in God. The same warrior spirit that is in the men of old and in his nation, we're about to see that progress into a need to be free of slavery to sin. We got to go to Ezekiel chapter 3 together. You guys turn to Ezekiel chapter 3. Let's dive straight into the prophets together and look at another waypoint in Israel's history. While you get to Ezekiel, let me help you with a connection. In Genesis, he's the God who delivered us from darkness and raised us into his image. When his people in Exodus were in slavery and he reached down from on high to help them, who did he send? Oh, come on, somebody speak to me. Who did he send? Moses. What was Moses? Moses was a prophet. Every single time that God wants to deliver his people from a new slave master, he sends them a prophet who is filled with the same warrior spirit. As Pastor Nick picks up in Ezekiel, once again, the people of God are in slavery, but he's not done with his people. He's developing them, and he will send them men that he has cultivated that are prophets that will bring deliverance from slavery. Church, Ezekiel was the mighty right arm of Adonai. You can clearly read that through his book and his interactions with God, but Ezekiel did not start as the righty might or might the mighty. mighty right arm of Adonai. Look at verse 7 with us and look at a snippet of the process that God took this slave up and brought him into princehood with him. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you because they aren't willing to listen to me. Since all the house of Israel are obstinate and hard-hearted. However, however, I am making you as defiant and obstinate as they are. Yes, I am making your resoluteness harder than flint, as hard as a diamond. So do not be afraid of them. Do not be depressed by how they look at you, because they 
are a rebellious house. Church, you might not have thought about it this way before, but the word defiant defines our Father's image. We're preaching about the Father's image and being made in His image this morning. Defiant is a word that defines His image. You heard a prophecy in the first set of worship this morning that the God of heaven looks and he laughs and he scoffs at his enemies and says, bring it on, man. Bring it on. I am defiant and obstinate more than you are. Oh, that, that does something in sons of God. That does something in men of war that allows us to look at his defiant character and say, oh, I'm going to be raised to be as defiant and as obstinate and as hard-hearted to Satan's kingdom as my father God is. Church, you've got to rise up in this character this morning. you got to say, I might feel a certain way today. I might be swayed or tempted to be swayed in a certain way, but Satan and his kingdom cannot make me be this way. I will be defiant for my God, and that is what I choose. Look at these adjectives with us for a moment. Defiant, being defined as not willing to listen. Obstinate, hard-hearted, Man, we would usually put those in a very fleshly category in our lives. If we heard those, we're like, oh, no, I don't want my children to be that way. No, no. That is the Abigail God-given consecrated version of the right hand of God that we must raise our children to be. Therefore, you and I are becoming men of war who are not willing to listen to the voices of the enemy who are obstinate towards Satan's schemes, who are hard-hearted against the kingdom of darkness, resolute, harder than flint, not afraid, and not standing in depression. These attributes can be used against the Lord, or we can consecrate them and use them against Satan. As in your life, you can stand there and everything might feel like it is broken around you. But you must know that your God, the Father in His image, is for you in every way. When you are pursuing His will, when you are hearing His will, when you know what His will is, but everything looks like it's against it, let me tell you something. When you stand as defiant, obstinate, hard-hearted toward anything that comes against His will, everything else in the heavens and on the earth will bend to the will of Adonai by your hand. There's been evidence of grace in your guy's life. There's been an eternal seed that's been planted in each one of you. We've seen power over sin at work in each one of your lives. And that means that you can be confident that God is working to discipline, to train his arm, his man of war. So in our pathway up to this point, our God has revealed to us in the last six months that we have new ground to take. That we have disparities to defeat and equals to raise up and new ground to take hold of like Othniel. In his development of his nation, he revealed his character as a man of war. And he taught his people a song that would revive them, strengthen them, and remind them of the father that they had and the one in whom's image they were to imitate. 
Then in slavery, once again, of a different kind, he sent a prophet who taught them what it looks like to become battle-hardened, to become like a diamond, to become defiant in the face of the things that oppose God's will. Saints, this is the very same spirit of the God of Exodus 15 alive inside of Ezekiel. And I tell you that Ezekiel was not only a prophet, he was a prophet filled with a warrior spirit, just like Moses. And he went to war to free God's people from slavery to sin. In many ways, Ezekiel was used to shape Israel in his day, but even more, in his prophetic insight, it still outlines Israel's future. We would all do well to gain insight from Adonai's development of his people as we approach the great task ahead of us in the One Association. Our God is a warrior that frees and elevates men from lowly positions to princely statuses. Just like in Exodus, he does this by sending his prophets time and time again. Saints, this is who we are to be. Those who are men of battle, prophets driven along by the very spirit of God to the end of liberating and elevating others to princely status. Now, Ezekiel was not alone as a holy warrior. He had a brother who had crossover and contemporary ministry with him and had the same message. Our king sent Jeremiah, who was filled with the same warrior spirit, to proclaim the need to be free of slavery to sin. Carlos is going to pick up in Jeremiah 1 with us. Jeremiah 1, starting in verse 15. It says, For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come. Every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls, all around against the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, say but you. But you. Dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. We have to uh, grab the context in which uh, Jer Jeremiah is told to speak. We have a dark uh, time in which yes. all this is happening. We, right. we have, let's think about the worst kind of rebellion. They have worshipped other gods. They have sacrificed to other gods. They have continually been defiant against God. Continually been defiant against doing the right thing. They have not followed their own God, the God that delivered them. Therefore, judgment is coming. There's impending gloom and there's darkness all around them. But one man is told to do something. Dress yourself for work. That is, gird up your loins. Yeah. That is, adjust your privy member. Yeah. That is, get ready for yeah. battle and get ready to work. This is not the time for you to sit down. This is the time for you to set out. Yeah. This is the time for you to get moving. Arise. Where do we go? Well, the first place to, the first place to go is go higher. That's the, place, the first place where you must go. We can't stay sitting down. We have to get up, arise from our positions, and get ready to work. That's what's told to Jeremiah in the midst of darkness. Not in the best situation, not where you want it more comfortable. In the worst of situations, he's told, I am sending you, Jeremiah. How would you like to be that man? How would you like to be the man that is told to go against all of the, darkness, the forces of darkness yeah. and have a mind, have a head, have a heart that's as strong as diamond, as strong as a fortified fortress because he's going to need that in order to be able to proclaim this news. Come 
He tells them, say everything that I command you. Man, have you read the prophets? Say yes or no. Yes. yes. Well, he says, he says more things that I've been willing to say, honestly. You know how I know that? Because when I go tell people the gospel, I say sometimes other things. Maybe more mellow things. A little bit more smooth. Things that are more soothing to my conscience so I don't get slapped in the moment. Right? This is, this is not what Jeremiah was told to do. He was told to say absolutely everything Amen. that I tell you. Wow. And there is two things, two directions. You know in Jeremiah 1.17, or Jeremiah 1 before it says, Hey, uproot, tear down, destroy, and overthrow. Man, that's a, that's a, that's a gospel right there, huh? Yeah. Destroy! Overthrow. Yes, that's what you're sent to do. And Jeremiah does it faithfully. He obeys God to the T. He does it every single moment. Everything that the, that the Father says, he speaks. But you know what? There was also a time for something else. There was a time to build and a time to plant. And when you get to Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah starts speaking prophecy of restoration. Jeremiah starts speaking prophecy about how God was had to, uh, had to destroy them, but now he's getting ready to build them. How he's getting ready to now lift them up, raise them up, comfort them, and resurrect them from their death. Jeremiah was a faithful prophet in the midst of darkness. A man valiant in spirit that would do everything that his father would say. Reflecting him. As the father spoke, so he spoke. And everything that the father did, he also did as well. Continue with us in verse 17 here. Do not be dismayed by them. He's like Ezekiel. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Guys, if you look at these attributes, it could look very stagnant. Like a fortified city doesn't really move, right? An iron pillar stays in the same place it was originally positioned. A bronze wall is exactly where you build it. But you need to know something. These stagnant pictures are encased just like a mobile fortress would be encased. We want to shout out to Submission Ministries for a moment who taught us what it looks like to be a mobile fortress. In other words, an indestructible life as priests of God, wherever the Lord sends you to do these things, uproot, tear down, destroy, overthrow, build and plant something out of nothing. Just like Ezekiel, this is a picture of the internal fortification that he will give a man who will rise, be willing to do his will no matter what it costs him. And this is who we are to be, church. Those who are men of battle, prophets of king, of the Lord and king, driven along by the very spirit of God to the end of both liberating and elevating others to the same princely status that we ourselves have been granted. 
This is the same kind of status, the same kind of concept, the same walking through as what cultivated Othniel when we studied last week. Caleb gave him an opportunity, and Othniel had never done it before, but he said, I am that man. I am that man of war, and I will rise up to the challenge. Saints, we have a lot to cover, and we're going to pick up a pace, but you need to get the building picture. When you have land to conquer, when God has revealed things to you and you live in dark times, it's necessary that we raise up men who are men of war in the image of their father. Men who are driven along by the same spirit as the prophets, the same spirit that Othniel and Caleb had. It was literally different than the rest. And that is why they saw the conquest. Now, when you're considering Jeremiah's bravery, I mean, lots of men can be brave for a moment or two. But bravery over decades to continually experience rejection, but in a Holy Ghost defiant kind of way, he was hardened to the adversity. Soft and pliable before his God, but like a bronze wall before a wicked nation. How did he do this? Well, you should remember from our foundation study that in Jeremiah's time, something special happened. In Jeremiah's time, they found the book of the law, which was Deuteronomy. They found a new revelation, an unveiling of God's character that had been lost, but was now found not only in the nation, but found in Jeremiah himself. Deuteronomy 8 is something I want to read a few excerpts from to you. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. Saints, have we engaged with remembers in this house? To humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Saints, this is evident in the life of Jeremiah, that he is quite literally living by the words of God coming from his mouth. It goes on to say, Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Saints, we're not going to read it, but Proverbs 17.3 says that a crucible is for silver, furnace for gold, and the Lord tests the hearts. In this house, we are experiencing what Jeremiah experienced. The testing of our own hearts so that God can purify us and ensure that we do, in fact, reach the land. Saints, he's a father, and we are reflecting his image. A father is interested in ensuring that his sons succeed. Your God is for you. He is forging you, forming you, and purifying you into a man of war who is driven by the Spirit of God into new lands. We're going to pick up in verse 15 and 16 now of the same chapter. It says, He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble you, to test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. Man, You know what the temptation is when we're tested? We tend to attribute that to the devil. We're like, oh, this is so hard. The devil is tempting me. Right? How about we start thinking that a good father is bringing difficulties to test us. 
so that we might know what is actually in our heart, so that we may be purified. You know, the Father has much more authority over our lives than the devil does. This is the work of a good father in his children, in his warriors that are to be like him. Through this, te- through this testing, he teaches us. Come on. You heard that, to teach you. How beautiful is it that he, he, ta- he even takes time to teach me something. He teaches us that by our power, we are unable to uh, do anything or conquer anything. But by his own power, he even causes water to come out of a dry and big rock. How does that happen? He teaches us that when our fleshly desires, our fleshly cravings are rising up, he says, no, 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 I'm going to give you bread from heaven. Amen. That's what you're going to get. And you're going to learn that you don't live on your fleshly cravings. You live on the word of God. That's what you're going to learn. Come on. He teaches us through that testing. He is a good father that comes and tests us and refines us just like silver and gold are refined. The testing is not to disqualify you. Just the opposite. You read the last verse here to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. In other versions, says to prosper you, to make you increase, to make you fruitful, to make you grow. The testing, the hardships, the difficulties, and the times when he becomes your sole source of feeding, of salvation, of water, of food, they're meant to teach us that we only depend on him so that at the end it may go well with us. So that at the end we will actually be fit to enter Conquer the promised land and establish his reign in that promised land. Come on. If that doesn't happen, we will make the promised land the hell that we lived in before. So he's teaching us how to take his presence, reflect him rightly, and go conquer with his presence. Let's pick up on Deuteronomy 9, verse 1. Before we do that, I want to reiterate something that Carlos just said. The testing of God is a blessing, and his testing is used by our good father to embed his character within each one of us so that we can be transformed like the nation of Israel were transformed. So that when he looks back at us, he would see the reflection of him that he always desired to see inside of your life. Deuteronomy chapter 9, starting in verse 1, really takes this, these concepts from chapter 8 and really encompasses all of them and gives us a direction. Hear, O Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan, to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you. Yeah, he's not even couching that fact for him. He's going ahead and coming out and just saying it. Yeah, these nations that you're going to dispossess, they are greater than you and they are stronger than you. They've got large cities that have walls up to the sky. Now I know why I need to be a fortified pillar. I need to be a bronze wall. I need to be that fortified city that God is making me to be. The people are strong and tall. Anakites. You know about them, and I've heard it said... Who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured. Come on. Be assured, man of God. Be assured, people of God, today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you. And you will drive them out. And annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised 
you. Now, just imagine for a moment them finding the book of Deuteronomy in Jeremiah's time. Jeremiah looking into this book and reading a passage like chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Imagine the kind of encouragement that Jeremiah would have got. He would have heard from his God, be assured today. He would have heard from his God, I am going across ahead of you to defeat your enemies. He would have heard from his God, I will help you drive them out and you will annihilate them these are declarative statements church it's not you might or you probably will or even you shall it says you are you will very definitively you are going to conquer the land of a people greater and stronger than you a people who think that they have possession and who think that no one's able to drive us out Because we're the greatest, we're the biggest, we're the strongest, we got the highest walls. But no matter how great they think they are, or how great they actually are, God says, they're not greater than me. They're not greater than my arm. They're not greater than my strength in you. No church, be assured this morning. Have no doubt this morning. If he's given us a command, if he's given you a mission then he is going with you on that mission. But not only that, he's going ahead of you to prepare the way for that mission like a consuming fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them. As you go, he will go before you. You got to move your feet. But he's promised it and he will accomplish it. Saints, as we progress, we're going to make direct practical application, but I can't resist jumping ahead a little bit. When you're speaking about your home, when you're speaking about the things that God has called the men and women in this room to do, you need to learn to take stock of the fact that he is going ahead of you. The moment that you learn to reflect his image as a man of war, as a people of war, to be holy defiant and driven along by his spirit you actually have the god of all creation moving with his spirit in advance of you setting your foot on the scene the real issue is the areas that we've been compliant rather than hungering for conquest he can't go ahead of you if you won't move in summary of deuteronomy 8 and 9 as jeremiah reflected it in his work our god tests us so that our hearts can be refined and so that we can follow him into new lands He's training his men of war so that you are like him. He tests us, quote, so that it may go well with us. When you're experiencing a trial, a testing, remember it is from your father who's ensuring it will go well with you. And he will go ahead of us like a devouring fire. It is Adonai who has ordained our path in this house. He has ordained our pathway to victory. And we will follow him into battle. Look, I'm going to share with you an old gem from Psalm 37. This is in the ESV beginning in verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Saints, this is incredibly good, even in the ESV. It says the steps of a man are established by the Lord. That means when you are walking the way that he has asked you to walk... It is him who is establishing it and making it firm. But can I tell you that we have something better for you than the ESV? It's called the LCM version. 
The steps are unfolding of life for a brave, spiritually strong man. A gibor is what is actually in the text. Are prepared, established, and made firm and steadfast by Yahweh. The man being you, the men of war, will delight in his way and pattern of life. Saints, what you need to take from this is that when you're moving in faith to conquer new ground in your home, in your workplace, in every area of life, and in the new physical lands ahead of us, that it is actually God who's establishing your steps, and he will ensure that you, the men of war, delight in the way and pattern of life. Saints, what is required is that we become brave, spiritually strong men who are not afraid to try. The passage goes on, and it's beautiful. It says, though he fall... He shall not be cast headlong. Can I tell you that if you're going to learn to fight, you're going to fall. There is no way around this. But you will not fall headlong. Your God will lift you up. For the Lord upholds his hand. Saints, this is like a father and a son. Sons trip, but when their hand is in the father's hand, they can't fall headlong because you lift them right back up. 25, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread he is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing look i'm just going to say it real frankly a brave spiritually strong man produces children who are a blessing to the world around them men who produce children but are not brave and spiritually strong well your children are something else to the earth and it's not a blessing 27 turn away from evil and do Good. We don't have time to talk about Peter's writings or Psalm 34, but you catch the reference. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Verse 29, you've got to hear. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Saints, for the brave, spiritually strong warrior, the man of war who's driven by God's spirit, he says that the result will be that you will inherit new land. A failing, a falling, those things will not deny his promise when you rise up in the faith that he's given you. You shall conquer the land. You are a spiritually strong people who are being trained to grow in it. And you are driven by the very spirit of God. We're going to hear Deuteronomy 9, 23. Man. We shall conquer the land. Well, let's see what the response was. As Moses is recalling back what happened in Numbers. As they sent 12 spies into the land that they were supposed to conquer. Moses is recalling and retelling this event in Deuteronomy 9.23. It says, And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and take possession of the land I have given you, then... You rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe him or obey his voice. Wait, wait, Carlos, did you say rebelled? Yes. How did they rebel? They didn't do anything. Well, it sounds like if you don't go in a conquest, in the conquest that he's promised, that is your path, that is your mission, the land that he has given you, that is straight up rebellion. It sounds like being complacent stagnant sitting on our butts is not enough for the father he is calling us on a conquest and he says you know what, what, some of the things that strike me here 
that the rebellion came because they did not believe him. And because they did not believe him, they couldn't obey his voice. When you're thinking about our li your life, my life, there were only two men in that group that had a completely different spirit about them. That went and believed and obeyed. Their belief was transferred into action. Their revelation of who the father was, the warrior that he was raising them up to be, transferred into how they came and encouraged the congregation as a whole and how they actually went and did it. You remember Caleb? He said he saw the Amalekites. He saw that they were giants. But in the given time, he says, give me that mountain. That is my mountain. I am going to go conquer it. And that is the warrior spirit that rose up in Caleb. How much more us? How much more us that have the blood of Messiah himself? How much more us that he has done so much for us? How much more us that he has taken us, shown us his mighty hand, and now is telling us, hey, go conquer that land. Go use that spirit that I have given you and go conquer the land that I have set for you. He has provided a solution for us. He has given it, he has given us every, all grace and all power at all times to accomplish what he's called us to do. Let's go on to Luke 24 and hear about this. Well, you're getting ready for that. It is 100% true he has given us the solution and you're going to hear about it. But don't forget, this is the development of his people Israel. And there was two men who had a different spirit and were ready to conquer everything that God called him to. Saints. He will not leave his nation without what is needed. He's raising them into a supernatural army, and you've been allowed to be accompanied by it. So as we pick up in the New Testament, don't divorce yourself from the fact that this is God's words to Israel that we get to join in on, like Hittai. Church, our Father and the right arm of Adonai is the arm of a conqueror, the arm of a man of war. Are you in Luke 24 with us? Luke 24, verse 44 says, He said to them, this is Jesus speaking here, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Church, do you realize that we've gotten to a place in Luke 24 right here where the very Son of God is personifying the right arm of a conquering spirit that he saw in his Father? And he's telling his disciples everything, all of the character of my Father that you saw in the law, in the prophets, in the writings, in the Psalms, I have personified it. And so will you. He says everything that you see in those passages must be fulfilled. Come on. That is because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, has the same conquering spirit as his Father has. And he is developing his people and imparting this same spirit to his disciples. Continue in verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Will be preached, future tense, 
in his name the embodiment, the character, the body of work of his father to all nations. Every nation must hear about this work. Amen. Beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. You are my witnesses of these things. That sounds like a mission to me. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Before I hand this off to Judah, you've got to see the imagery right here in these passages. You know that he has given us the very solution to be men of war and empowered by him. We've been given the very spirit of God and the spirit of Jesus, his son. The clothing and power that is necessary to go to all nations. So let's have fun with this for a minute. The law of prophets and writings must be fulfilled. Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God and the image of the father. Well, in the law, he's a man of war. In the prophets... He is the spirit that makes men defiant, obstinate, even as flint and diamond in the face of adversity. In the writings, he is the one who strengthens, lays out the path for, emboldens, and makes spiritually strong and brave men. Saints, can I tell you that you already have the infilling of the spirit? Unless you don't, and then we'll pray for you after this. But the infilling of the Spirit was never for your entertainment. You weren't filled with the Holy Spirit just to speak in tongues. You weren't filled with the Holy Spirit just to prophesy. You were filled with the infilling of the Holy Spirit to conquer, to be a witness to all nations, to advance the gospel in dark times and on foreign soil. Look, I love that we can prophesy in this room. But if you can't prophesy in your workplace to a lost person, then it is useless. You're practicing in here what you will perform out there is what the sign says. That's because what the Bible displays is that we are training with one another to advance into ever-expanding territories. Saints, you already have. You're not a have-not. But we have to learn to cultivate and recognize what the spirit in us is actually for. The spirit of the lion of the tribe of Judah is alive inside of you. We just need to learn to reflect his character. Walk in the Father's image. To be men of war and spur one another on to it. Saints, you don't need anything to go and conquer. You need to start working with what he has already given you. And he will be a devouring fire ahead of you. So I'm going to remind you of some of the things that are ahead of us as a body and as a one association. We are in a year of setting out, preparing to go take and settle in new territories. We are defeating disparities by creating equals. Saints, you are not powerless. You're not unable to do that. When you look around this room, you need to see your immediate responsibility to defeat disparity and make them into equals. You will never make an an equal by constantly highlighting his failings. Learn to remind him of the man of God that he actually is according to the word and the spirit and the prophecies made about him. We've learned about Caleb and Othniel principles, which was a singular sermon, but the principles laid out in it will define the months ahead of us. We are learning to elevate our sons into brothers, and we are learning to move beyond compliance and into daring faith and works for Christ Jesus. 
and we will, by God, raise up a fourth generation of leaders that will be seated at the table alongside us in the current generation, not long after we're dead, but working shoulder to shoulder together. Look at 56 minutes, though, while we're talking about the things we will accomplish in the months and years ahead, we have to wrestle with what we must do now in our own personal lives. Come on. You've seen that who the Father is in the Torah, in the prophets, in the writings, and we have seen it in Yeshua himself. Not only that, we have experienced it. The Father has unveiled his character and who he is to us, and what does he expect us to do right now, right now? What it means for us right now is this. If your marriage is not where you would like it to be, if you, there are things there that you know are not right, then go conquer that land. Yeah. That is your ground to conquer. That is the promised land, and you must go conquer it because the Spirit of God is upon you. You are brave, spiritually strong men. Go conquer that ground. Yeah. If you're not married, raise up your hand if you're not married. All right, now lower your hand quickly. <laughs> if you know that that's what the Father has for you, what are you doing sitting on your butt? The Father has a promise for you. If you're waiting on children, go conquer the land because the Father is fighting for you. He has promised you something. He has promised you children and generations that is for you, and you will conquer that land. You are a man of war. Come on. If, hey, we personally are struggling in any area. If, there, if the flesh is louder than you would want it to be, if fears, temptations, thoughts, if all these are creeping in and they're louder than you would want it to be, the Father is commanding us as spiritual, strong, and brave men and women in this house to go conquer that land. Yeah. Hey, we all know that the Father is glorified in that we bear much fruit, isn't it? Yes. Well, if you look at your life and there is no or little or some fruit or you're not pleased with the fruit, then what is he telling you to do? Go conquer that land. Oh, you have on. the power to do so. You have to produce more, 30, 60, and 100 fold because that is the spirit of God that's upon you. We know that there's courage that is rising in this house. We know that we all want, hey, who wants to preach the word of God boldly? Come on. Well, when we are out there and you face the temptation to coward in fear, remember that the, that the Father has given you a spirit not of cowardice, but of power, of love, and of self-control. We must go conquer that land and rise up in courage and speak the word of God even when it feels like you shouldn't or you won't or, you, or you're afraid of doing so. If you know that you're supposed to be changing the world, which you do know that, I know that, how can I go on with a lame day in which nothing happens? How can I go on like that? I am going to conquer that land. I, will, I know the spirit of the warrior of my father that is inside of me. And I'm not going to settle, be complacent or compliant with simply staying in my own place. We are sent to conquer. Remember what was told by Moses to the people. Not going out to conquer that which the father has given you is rebellion. But on the other hand, when you believe... And you obey, then he's pleased with you and you reflect in his image perfectly. What he's setting for us right now is to reflect him just the warrior character that he is. Saints, this is to encourage you on multiple levels. With those areas that you felt like are immovable obstacles. I mean, territory that you just can't take and so you try to avoid the subject. 
when you learn to step out in faith as a man of war, as a brave, spiritually strong individual, it is actually God who is ordering your steps. And the best part is he goes ahead of you like a devouring fire, doing what you could never do. Look, we told you that this has been cutting us personally. I mean, I love every family in the room, and I think you're all beautiful, but none as much as that group sitting on the front row. There's a sexy redhead with light skin, with a Bible in her lap, and a baby girl in her womb right now. Can I tell you that that woman is my best friend? And that the two of us are learning to conquer new ground every day? There's this strange thing that happens where people hear a title pastor, which I'm not particularly fond of, and they start to think that you're not growing or that you don't have problems. No, we're fighting every day to conquer new ground, and we're working to do it with the children God has already given us in anticipation of him adding more. Which is an exciting thing. When you learn to reflect the character of our Father, saints, the things that are ahead of us, God is not going to add less to you. He's going to be putting more and more on your plate because he has found you worthy of conquering new ground. And you can rest assured, when you stand with him as a man of war, when you summon some brave spiritual faith, It is him that will go ahead of you and ensure that you do, in fact, succeed. Failure is not an option because he won't allow it. He will make you ultimately victorious in every case. Now, there's just one passage that so quintessentially describes what we're aiming at that I need to shut up for a minute and let Pastor Nick talk. (laughs) Turn with us to Romans chapter 8. We got to go to this chapter together. You can't talk about stamping the very image of our Father onto us and going to conquer new lands, going to conquer that land without reading this chapter. When you get there, land on verse 31 together. Yeah, no, we're going to take that, Brandon. Say conquered when you get there. Are you there, Jaron? Are you there, Marlon? Are you there, Micaiah? Then say conquered. What then shall we say in response to this? What then shall we say in response to this message? What then shall we say in response to this challenge? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things who will bring any charge against those whom god has chosen guys that's a good question for us this morning who will bring a charge against you god's chosen conqueror you know when we hear this question we immediately think of all the external enemies that are coming against us All the enemies that are around us whispering in our ears. What if you think about it from the internal perspective first and then the external perspective? What if you think about your flesh first and then you think about the physical people around you? No, no, no. 
who, including your flesh, is able to bring a charge against you, the men of God that God has chosen to go conquer? The answer is no one and nothing, including your own thoughts. It is God who justifies. It's God who is justifying us in his image now. Who is he that condemns? No one. No one. No one is able to condemn or stand against Jesus Christ in you. It's Christ Jesus who has died. More than that, who was raised to life. And he is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? No. Shall hardship? No. Shall persecution? No. Shall famine? No. Shall nakedness? Definitely not. Or danger or sword? No. As it is written, for your sake, we do face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But church, we have learned how to be defiant, just like our God is. We have learned his character and are a mobile tabernacle that will stand in the midst in his defiance. We're gaining courage that is rising up, coming, knowing that what he has given us and what we are capable of as his sons. There is no one who can bring a charge against us, not from within us, not from without us. It is not possible. We will stand. So just as we're sitting now in a passage that exemplifies the character of our father from Exodus 15 into Ezekiel 3 into Jeremiah 1, the man of war who is spiritually brave and strong, wholly defiant and driven by the spirit of God. And Romans 8 exemplifies that. There's a particular man that exemplifies what it looks like to have a conquering spirit. And in less time than I've seen almost any disciple in the word, in his home, in his team, in every area of life, learn to summon the conquering spirit of God that should probably get verse 37. No! <laughs> Thank you, Judah. But no, well, in all things, we are what? More than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hey, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Good question. I mean, if you're already a conqueror, what does it mean to be more than one? Well, think about the context in which this letter was written. Romans. What were the Romans acquainted with? Conquering. Conquerors. They were acquainted with warriors. Men who strapped their sword, wear helmets and armor, who were actually conquerors, who drove out enemies, who stomped and conquered land. They were acquainted with what a conqueror looked like in the flesh. But Paul is not saying that they're like them. Paul is saying you are more than them. You are saying more than a conqueror. More than simply somebody that has a will to go take a land. You are empowered by the living God to take that land. But he says something else that's crucial here. He says, I am convinced. What does it take for us to be convinced? I mean, like a conviction that nobody can take you, shake you, move you. You are, you're absolutely rooted. It's become a part of the fabric of who you are. Nothing can change you. 
You don't have to tell yourself to be this. You don't have to tell yourself to act like this. It's you're convinced. It's a conviction in your heart. Come on. It's changed who you are. I can no longer be the same person back then. I am a new one. And what is he convinced of? As a warrior, it's funny to say that, huh? He's, he's convinced of the love that the Father himself has shown him. When Paul went and conquered lands, this is the attitude that he had. Why did he go from Jerusalem? Why did he go to Tarsus? Why did he go to um, Lystra? Why did he go to Derby? Why did he keep moving? Why didn't he just stay still and be compliant with his own calling in the place that he, had, that he, that he was at? Because he was more than a conqueror. Because yeah. he saw himself as the one that had been anointed by God to be more than simply a conqueror, to be more than one. And it was because of his conviction. He was convinced. Hey, you're going to stone me? You're going to persecute me? I have a hard head. I have harder than flint, harder than diamond. And my heart is even harder. I am holy and defiant. The spirit of the warrior God is inside of me. And I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love that has, shown, has been shown to me through Christ Jesus. Nothing. If he has loved you in the worst of your times, how much more he will love you as you get up and you gird up your loins. Arise. And you get ready to arise and you go fight the Lord's battles. This is the spirit of more than a conqueror that is evident in Paul. And we are all rising up in. We have been called. Direction has been given. A target has been laid. The land has been shown. We have been like the 12 spies that peek over and say, yeah, that is the land that he has given us. So it's time to rise in the spirit of Caleb, in the spirit of Joshua, in the spirit of Paul, in the spirit of Messiah. And go take what the Father has promised to us. Church, we're not just conquerors. We're not just sent by God to go take new lands and territories. We're not just that. No, we're more because we're able to see into the potential that a slave has. We're able to see into the potential of a lowly man and say, no, I see what God wants to do with you. I see how God wants to raise you. I see the priesthood that is going to be your son. Come rise up. Stand next to me. I will train you and teach you how to conquer lands just as my God has. That is what it means to be more than a conqueror, church. Turn with us to Revelation 2. We're going to stand up in this priestly status, but more than that, we are going to teach the lowly how to stand up in their priestly status in God. Revelation 2.26, to the one who conquers, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Guys, it's so easy to think about Jesus having this. Jesus, the son of God, you're a son of God like he is. And when you go out and you conquer like he does, God the Father gives you the same authority over the nations that he does to Jesus. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. You will rule just like Jesus has ruled. And I, Jesus, 
will give that man the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church, the conquerors that you are will be given by God himself the authority over these nations. But notice, the Spirit's not just saying it to you. Not just saying it to this church. The Spirit of God is saying it to the churches, the brother churches that we are associated with right here and right now. I can tell that we've reached many of your max capacity. You don't have to agree with it for it to be true. So I'm going to bring this to a razor's edge so that we can respond to it. Many of you are familiar with Romans 12. It happens to be one of Pastor Matthew's favorite passages in all of the Bible. Verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Saints, you need to learn to define this rightly. You can't be conformed. You must conquer. This is about your outward exertion of what the will of God is on your circumstances and the people around you. It is time for you to be the forceful change everywhere that you go. No more being compliant. No more being conformed. Conquer. Romans 12 goes on to say in verses 3 through 8 that we ought to use every gift given to us. In fact, verse 6 says, Let him use it in proportion to his faith. We're a body made up of many members. There are gifts in this room that are in prophecy, that are in teaching, that are in encouraging. God created you with a unique design that is intended to be consecrated to his uses. You be the man and woman of God that he has called you to be. But use what he has given you to the fullest measure of your faith. I'm a pastor. So I'm just going to call some of your names. Paul Makowick, use the gifting that God has given you to the fullest measure. Stop worrying about comparing it to someone else's. Use what God has given you to conquer. Eric Treister, when you stood up in front of this whole congregation in repentance and an appropriate usage of the scripture, that was brave and spiritually strong. Use the gifting that God has given you to conquer and elevate the brothers that are around you. Reach into their life and encourage them that God will lift them in the same way that he lifted you. Romans 12 goes on in verse 9 to say, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We live in a weird society now. Scripture is clearly describing our unique armaments, our unique giftings that are weapons in the hands of the body of Christ that should be used in devotion to strengthen one another. It's because we're a people who are at war in the image of our Father. Honor one another above yourselves, it says in verse 10. We're not going to teach on team A today, but you know that this means to value or elevate your brothers. Elevate them like brave spiritually strong men of war who are defiant against all of the odds and all of the attacks. 
Saints, your week should be filled with prayer for the men that are in combat and are closest to you looking for the opportunity to reinforce that godly design. Then it goes on in verse 11 to say, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Youth groups have used this for centuries. And essentially it means to many congregations that you sing songs about fire and you jump up and down. That is not at all what Paul is talking about. Remember this chapter is in succession with Romans 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. The spiritual fervor we need is the kind of spirit that Caleb had. The kind of spirit that Jeremiah had. That Ezekiel had. That God himself pours into his people. Where we want to conclude today is in Luke 14. I'm going to pick up in verse 10 and read to you 11. But when you are invited, go. Somebody say go. Go. And sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Saints, I want to tell you that we are indeed in a year of setting out, preparing to settle in new lands. We are defeating disparities by creating equals. We are going to be Caleb who is offering the opportunity to other men to go from sons to brotherhood. And we are going to be Othniel, those who are moving beyond compliance. But the way that we will raise up this fourth generation, that we will complete each of these items, it's by you learning to be brave enough, strong enough, a man of war who is only concerned with winning the battle enough to learn what it is to be the servant of your brothers and take the lowest seat on purpose so that someone else can. We're reaching a day when there are leaders around this room that can preach, that can teach, that can lead their home. The biggest battle that will be facing you is what it looks like for you to take a seat that is not the most prominent and give another man the opportunity to sit there. Saints, warriors are meant to be at the disposal of the kingdom. When we talk about being more than conquerors, conquerors attack a city so that they can literally enslave the people. It's the exact opposite of the godly design. When he says you're more than conquerors, he's writing to a people that are an empire built on crushing men, enslaving them for their own purposes, and subjugating them into a lesser demitude status. But he says you are more. What it means for you to be the men of war is that at your own cost, the loss of your own position, putting yourself in the lowest place to fight with everything in you to make sure that they have a seat at the table. When you learn this principle and you do it in your home, whatever it costs you, you seat those around you at the table and put yourself in the most vulnerable position, you'll see it prosper and God will actually elevate you. When you do this in your brotherhood and every opportunity that you can, you put yourself on the firing line. You put yourself in the weakest position. You'll find that you're seated at a table with equals that have the divine ability to breathe life into you because they're also brave spiritual warriors. When we learn to do this even more between our churches, we're actually going to find that we have host upon host of men who are spiritually brave in every way, who are defiant in the face of the enemy's advances and are men of war. So as you stand to your feet,
We're going to pray. We're going to worship. But starting on the most basic of levels, if you're hearing this message and you heard what these brothers said, and you recognize that in your marriage you have unconquered ground, that you've been too afraid to attack and honestly just too prideful to expose where you're weak and you want to take the highest seat when you haven't actually been elevated by God. Hidden areas in your marriage that you know need to be transformed by God. Our elders are going to come to the front. Charlie, Bosch, John, a few elders would come. They're going to pray for your faith to be strengthened. If in your teens, in your brotherhood, if the lingering lie that we keep confronting exists between your ears that you have nothing to offer your brother so you're quiet rather than standing on the scripture, today we summon the conquering spirit of the spiritually brave man that you are. Come to the front as well. If in this house, you're a father with a marriage that is in right standing. But you're praying about what you need to do in your children to be able to summon that kind of warrior spirit in them so that it is real for them like it is for you. Disciples in the house much in the same way. If there are men that you are laboring for but you want to learn to impart that warrior spirit, elevate them to brothers. But you've been unsure where to start. Today is your day. Fathers and disciples, come up. We're going to pray for you because God will do it through you. You are the ones who will elevate them to the same status. You will make them into brothers. You will see them rise into warriors. This ministry has never been about what happens on the stage. It is about what happens in your own homes as you, as ministers of the gospel, are sharing these things. Lastly, every man, woman, and child in here, intercede for them. And if you don't have the kind of spirit that we're talking about, maybe you haven't been baptized in the Holy Ghost, then we'll pray for you, but it's going to require that you have courage and run to the front. Pastor Nick's going to begin to pray, and we're now going to intercede that we would conquer new ground from the smallest of levels in our marriages all the way up to taking new lands because of what he's done in our midst, one life, one family, and nation at a time. Father, what an incredible blessing that you have poured out on your people this morning. Father, we lift you higher, Lord. We lift you higher, Father, and we pray, Lord, that men would rise up and have the same courage and depth of conviction that you do. Father, that we would all rise to new levels, rise to new heights, to conquer, have the same conquering spirit, mighty God, that you put in the men of old and that you led your nation through in their development. Father, at the same time, we know that